looking at a, a series uh, that I call the facets of love. One of the amazing things about the Holy Word of God is that um, love is never defined in Scripture. Love is only described. And uh, I see so many people try to define it, try to bring it together, and the truth of the matter is, it is a verb. And when I go through that, it is something that is seen, it is manifest. And um, if you look at fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, most people say it is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, gentleness, kindness, all the rest. But it says fruit. It isn't plural. Fruit of the Spirit is love. And out of love comes joy, peace, gentleness, kindness. And one of the things that I think that we struggle with as Christians is that we look at it and we say, well, I can't do that. And God says, you're right. Perfect. Now that you realize that, what is your response? And it is just part of what we are dealing with. Uh, And it is an amazing text in this letter. And I pray, why don't we pray now and then we'll read it. And we'll pick it up and run with it. Father, we come to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, knowing that when we look at the cross, there is no better description of love. For you died for us even though we were yet sinners, enemies to God. Father, I pray as we draw today, draw now to your word, the power of your word, the moving of your spirit, that, Father, we will bow before you with great joy and say, Father, so be it. And Father, I ask that you teach. Father, they see not me, they hear not me. They hear but you, and they see but you. And Father, may your glory only get brighter and brighter till that eagerness, that day that our faith becomes sight. To you, my King, my Savior, my Lord, in Christ's name, amen. Verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, love does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, this text is amazing because it is in the middle of what you and I would call a dissertation on spiritual gifts. Here's something I want to bring to your, back to your attention again. <clears throat> Chapter 12, verse 1, concerning spiritual gifts, what? I do not want you to be unaware. It literally means I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Ask yourself a simple question. How's the church doing about that today? The average Christian today, are they ignorant of spiritual gifts? Or do they understand spiritual gifts? They're ignorant. Why? Because I think we've blinded ourselves to it. I do not understand how the Bible could say, I don't want you to be ignorant about something, and yet we are. But then all of a sudden it dawns on me, who's he writing this letter to? A church. It's not a, a, it's not a cult. It's not a sect. 
It is a church. These people who are believers in Jesus Christ. You know what's amazing about the letter to the Corinthians? There's no doctrinal issues. They had sound doctrine. Who founded them? The Apostle Paul. And yet, what was happening in the church? You had selfishness, you had the flesh, you had carnality just raising up and eating at everybody. Show-offs. Spiritual show-offs is what you had. What's in the church today in America? You know, I, I, I heard a message preached on this and it said a contemporary message for contemporary times. You know what it was? A complete overview of the book of 1 Corinthians. Why? Because this is what we are. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. I am of who? I am of what? Why? Because we believe in what? A name recognition? Is that what we believe in? Is that what we have? You know, one of the greatest churches that have ever existed on the planet Earth was founded by the Apostle Paul. And to date, that church has never gone out of existence. Never has there not been a Bible preaching, solid doctrinal church in Thessalonica. It's always been there. But you know what? Anybody know who the elders were or the pastor was? Does anybody know what the name of his radio broadcast was? What books did he publish? We don't know. But you know what? Thessalonica, Saloniki, Thessaloniki, whichever it's called, has always had a Bible preaching church. And if you read First and Second Thessalonians, you're in awe of this church. The first letter, the first three chapters, Paul is just pouring praises on them. That's all he does. That's all it is. Woohoo! You got a faith. Wow! Your hope is in the coming of Christ. You have a love that works. You guys are amazing. Not only that, you have been heard from Macedonia to Acacia. The whole peninsula knows exactly what's going on in, in your church. You know what's amazing about that? They didn't have a TV show. They didn't have radio broadcast. And yet it says all of the Christians have heard what is happening in Thessalonica. How's it come? They bow before what God said. That's what I saw see in Russia when I, I go there. And yet I see it starting to look American. Why? Because we go for what? For glamour. Why? We want aggrandizement. There were disputes in this church in Corinth. You know that they had Christians suing one another? Do you know that they had taken the, 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 the marriage and said that if you're married, you're more spiritual. But if you had single people, they were bragging, no, I'm more spiritual. And so they couldn't decide whether I should divorce or not divorce. Should I stay married? Who is more spiritual? How silly is that? How silly is that? They were touting their sin as freedom in Christ. I have such freedom that I can have immorality. Really? Where's that at? Okay, and, and when I look at 1 Corinthians and I look at it as a whole, okay, the thing that I have to look at is it as a book that shows personal holiness. Deal with yourself. And when I look at this text here in chapter 13, sandwiched right in the middle of what we call the spiritual gifts, and yet, why do we call it sandwiched? It is part of spiritual gifts. And what he's already said is, you know what? You can have spiritual gifts, and if you exercise them without love, you're just noisy. He says, you can lay yourself down as a martyr, and you can give everything away that you own, and if you do it without love, it profits you nothing. 
So I'm thinking that maybe this love thing is important. He says you can have all knowledge, you can have all prophecy, you can have all mysteries, and you can have all faith as to remove mountains. And if you don't have love, you are nothing. You are nothing. And one of the things that is difficult about a text like this is we have a tendency, and I, and I believe it will come out today. We have a tendency when I look at this text, love is patient, it's kind, it's not jealous, it's not brag, it's not arrogant, it's uncommonly, it's not seek so. And we want to look at, is that person? There, they ain't, they ain't acting kind. Well, that person over there, they're always provoked. That one over there, I'm telling you, they ain't got no patience. They haven't got a clue. And yet what this text does is takes 12, 13, and 14, those three chapters, and Jesus Christ, speaking to the Apostle Paul, pinning it down in the power of the Holy Spirit, is saying, this is a picture of what I want the world to see. Okay, the body of Christ comes together is the portrait, the manifestation of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. That's what church is. That's what church is. It isn't the coffee shop. It isn't contemporary or traditional. The church is a manifestation of Christ. And he's already said in the first three verses, if you do any of this and you don't do it in love, you're useless. You are a zero. It gets you nothing. We've already looked at it. He says, when you build, when you build on this foundation, are you building with gold, silver, and precious stone? Or are you building with wood, hay, and stubble? How many Christians will stand before Jesus Christ with a handful of ash? This is what I have accomplished. Okay? And the key to this thing is love. It's love. And again, it is fruit of the Spirit. It's a, when I think about spiritual gifts, I think of supernatural enabling. End of chapter 12, he says, let me show you a better way. Let me show you a better way. And he throws in 13. Okay? Again, I've already shared it with you. The Bible in 66 books never ever defines love. It only describes it. Think about it. God is love. And I have 66 books that tell me what God's about. How does he work? We just finished up on Saturday night, the book of Genesis. Right? There's the, the greatest foundation you've ever seen of who God is and what does he do? And then you say, hang revelations on the other side of it. And what do you got? Woohoo! So we've already looked at a, several of these. We've looked at God, that love is long suffering. What does that mean? It suffers long. It is patient. You know what? Love, the love that God pours in the Christian's heart, when it is wrong, it never remembers it. How much so? Because it is kind. The root word there in the original text is that it's useful. When love, the Christian is wrong, it will literally turn, that Christian will turn and be useful to the person who wronged them. Now go try to do that. Just go. Knock yourself out. I'll see you in the newspapers. Try it. That is difficult. When you're wrong, what's your response? Fix it. Love is not jealous. Okay, jealous comes in two lines. One is, I don't want you to, I, you don't deserve that. You don't deserve it. Why did they get that? How's come they got that ministry? How's come they got that house? How's come they got that car? How's come they got that job? The other side of jealousy is this. 
I don't want you to have it. I'm going to do whatever I can. And love doesn't do that. Love looks at everybody's, what they gain as a privilege and they've been blessed and they are happy, ecstatic for that person. But love is not hot air. It's literally what the word means. It does not brag. What? It is not hot air. How many people like to tout their spiritual maturity? I see it in the pastorate. I see it in all the ministries. Okay? Why? It is hot air. It is hot air. Well, you know what? I was sharing with the, somebody on the train the other day, and light rail, and, and all the rest. Well, you know what? I was sharing as I was going down the highway. I was yelling out the window at the people. <laughs> I got a friend of mine who's a truck driver, cross the road truck driver. That's what he does. They call him John the Baptist. It's a long story. But he's a truck driver, um, hardcore teamster. I'm going to try to get him to repent of that. But anyway, um, he preaches the gospel over to CB. And he says, when I get tired, I'll put in somebody's tape that I really like, and I'll just put that button down and stick it right on there. And let them preach all the way across the United States. And I was like, okay, sounds good to me. So, But there are people out there who are full of hot air. And love doesn't have hot air. Love doesn't go around saying, guess what I did for Jesus, or guess what Jesus did through me. Okay, Why? Because that comes out of a heart not arrogant. It comes out of a heart that is prideful. And listen, spiritual pride is one of the most vile things that I've ever seen in my life. And it is running amok. We tout it now. We want to bring glory and adoration. Had somebody come to me, they said, you've been such a servant to me and, and for what we've done, and we would like to have a foot washing ser- service for you, your wife, and, and your, your elder and his wife. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, let me do help you with that. And he said, what's that? I said, I have hard enough time getting crowns as it is that I ain't forfeiting one for a foot washing service. And he goes, what? I said, dude, we have a building. We have the access. We could help you out. We helped you out. And I'm going to leave it at that. Why? You don't need to wash my feet. Why? Walk with me. Walk with me. Okay, and it's not that I'm against, you know, I'm not here saying what you're supposed to. That's not what I'm saying. We want to thank you. Well, you know what? Thanks. I appreciate it. But I don't need to forfeit crowns. I mean, I, got, I only have like two. And I, and it's, I have a hard time hanging on to them too. And it, you're going to take one to wash my feet? No. <laughs> no, I don't want to walk up with a handful of ash and say, look, here's what I got. And burn offerings. It's not arrogant, but it does not act rudely either. And I shared with you, you can get all these on online. Uh, it does not act rudely. It's, it's not rude, unbecomingly. If I, it's, the best illustration I've got is I slurp my soup. I just thought that was how you're supposed to just where you get your soup. And, and, and I've had people say, don't slurp your soup. Well, how in the heck am I supposed to eat it? I mean, but don't sort your suit. That's, that's poor manners. It's like your elbows on the table. Well, my grandma used to all over me for that. And I never did understand. Why have I got the table in front of me then? I mean, if you don't want my elbows on the table, then just put me a chair out in the middle of the room and I'll hold it. Right? But love says, if that is offensive to you, then in love, okay. All right? I don't know what I'm going to do with my soup, but okay. All right? 
See what I'm trying to get at? And I see men and women treat each other rudely. And I have to say, do they really love each other? Because, you know, that's just something that you're going to have to get on. Love says, fine, that's what you want. I'm in. Seventh one out of these 15 is this does not seek its own. This is probably the key to it, to, to love. It doesn't seek its own. Okay, uh, Paul writing the church of Philippi said this, do nothing out of vain conceit or selfish ambition, but consider what? Others more important than yourself. If you actually did that, you'll never have a disagreement with anybody ever again. <laughs> now try it. Okay? How, how are you going to do that? It doesn't seek its own. Think about that. When you have a disagreement with somebody, why? Because I'm right and they're wrong. Right? And, and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. Here's what I want you to think, see about all of these. Okay? These are all personal relationships, aren't they? It's dealing with other people. Okay? If you're struggling in it, listen, here's the bad part about where we're at in this text. Okay? We're going to deal with the eighth one today. This is all introduction. We're going to deal with the eighth one today. And you can't say, well, you know what? I've got five out of eight. You ain't got love. You can't have five out of eight. Love manifests all 15. All right? All 15. If you have five out of eight, all it means is that you are selfish. That's all it means. Don't worry about it. I'm just selfish. I'm just like the Corinthians. And it's not a new phenomenon. Paul told Timothy, chapter 3, 2 Timothy, understand this. Difficult times will come. Okay, in these last days. Okay, when do the last days start? It's the carnation of Christ. All right, so we're in it. We're eyeball deep in that bugger. All right? What will happen? Men will be what? Lovers of self. Charles Spurgeon says that's a sewer pipe the rest of it pours out of. Okay? And what he's talking about there is not lost people. He's talking about the church because they will have a form of godliness and deny its power. What do you see the church today? Have a form of godliness and it'll deny the power. How many of you have gone through these 15 facets of what love is and you look at other people? My wife doesn't act unbecomingly. Well, I, I don't know if a woman could ever act rudely. But the woman will probably look at the guy and says, he's rude. As he was in there belching watching a football game and that's just rude. Well, I was in the, watching a ball game. You're not supposed to be in there. You'd have never heard it. But you see what I'm trying to get at? Okay, don't do it. You want these 15 facets, you want to stick them up at the mirror and you look at it. Okay, and don't say, well, such and such treated me. You missed it again, didn't you? Love, if it's long-suffering, doesn't take into account a wrong-suffered. And women do that. They have minds like it. They just remember all of it. Okay? That sets me up for mine. Love is not provoked. Verse 8. Love is not provoked. Verse 8. <laughs> or the eighth one. Sorry, not verse 8. The eighth one. It's not provoked. Okay, the Greek means a sudden outburst. Cool. Now we're done. No. It, listen, here's what he's saying. Love never gets upset. Love never is irritated. Love is never ready to fight. 
Okay? And I, I can see the little brains going right now. Wait a minute. My Bible says there's something about righteous indignation. Okay? And that's good. It's good to be righteous anger. No problem. If you're cleansing the temple, go ahead. No problem. Be mad about it. Okay? Did you read 1 Corinthians 6.19? I would read that one before you jump headlong into righteous indignation. Right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that your body is the temple of the living God. So where should your righteous indignation start? Bummer. <laughs> are you mad about your problems or are you mad at everybody else's problems? Okay. See, that's the def defining of the temple is where? You. You're the temple of the living God. So if I'm going to have righteous indignation, I'm going to be cleansing the temple, then where should I be angry, provoked at, irritated with? My sin. My sin. When Martin Luther nailed his thesis on the door of Wittenberg, I bet you he was a little bit on the angry side. What do you want to bet? You know what? And I'll be honest with you. As a pastor, as a brother in Christ, I am for righteous indignation. I love it. I think it's great. And you know what? I don't believe that you can really live the Christian life without a little anger. Okay? But here's the struggle that you have. What is you angry about? Are you angry at Satan? Are you angry at your flesh, my flesh? Are you angry at what defiles God's world? Are you angry at what defiles God's truth? That's righteous indignation. Okay? It's fine to have this righteous anger. There's nothing wrong with it. I believe that every child of God must have that. When I think about ministers or preachers, I've never met a preacher that was any good at all who didn't have a competitive streak in him. There's something competitive about him. Okay, why? He's always in a fight. You, if you're going to be in a fight day in and day out, day after day after day, you had better be competitive. I like to win. Um, I grew up in Ohio under the great Woodrow Hayes, Woody Hayes. And I remember I went to Ohio State for a semester for no apparent reason. Um, and I remember him making a statement that said, you show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. <laughs> and I understood that. Great, because I've spent a lot of time in my life losing, and I never liked it. Okay, A preacher who isn't competitive, a minister who isn't competitive, isn't going to be a good preacher of the Word of God. Why? Week after week after week after week after week after week, you have to bring the Word of God there. And you are battling it. You know what? I think about a blind pig. You know what? A blind pig can find slop occasionally, right? A, a preacher can find a good message occasionally. But a competitive one who is in the fight, and he understands he's in the fight, fights for it. He fights for it. Uh, you know, um, to preach a good sermon, the law of averages says you're going to eventually hit one. Find something good, find a good truth now or then. But to be good, 
Week after week after week after week after problem after problem after heartache after heartache after system after system after system. Guess what happens? You'd better be a fighter. You got to be a competitor. You have to com- competition. Why? Listen, for me to walk up here, everybody seems to think that, well, he just walks up there and preaches. And how tough is that? He's just going to get up there and talk. Really? You know, it takes me an average of 40 hours to get one message. You guys are still getting cheated. If I preach for an hour and I only studied for 40, you still got cheated. Now, I want you to think about it. I teach on Tuesday night. I teach on Wednesday night. I teach on Saturday night. I teach on Sunday morning and Sunday night. How many hours am I spending? Okay. I have to fight the clock. My greatest adversary, I have to fight my own ignorance. I have to fight difficulties in the text. I have to fight people who want to make my priorities theirs or their priorities mine. You know what? I have to fight my own laziness. I have to fight my own sin. I have to fight my own flesh. And I do it moment by moment. It is a war. It is a war. And you know why? Everybody says, well, gee, many crickets. You're so quiet and mellow all week. And then on Sunday, you got your arms are flapping and you get your money and you're doing all this stuff. You know what? That's victory day for me. I fought all week. I'm here. It's Sunday. The fight's over. I got to pick it up again here in a little bit. I get excited. It took a lot of time to put this together. In a Christian life, there's a need to be irritated about some things. Okay? The problem is, is it in the terms of accomplishing God's will? One of the great texts that I've ever read on this being irritated, provoked, comes out of Acts 17. And this is fascinating text because I think this will humble us when we think that we're in righteous indignation. Chapter 17, verse 16 says this. The Apostle Paul has been kicked out of Thessalonica. He's kicked out of Berea. He's come down. He's in Athens. And now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, he'd sent uh, Silas and Timothy back to find out what had happened in Thessalonica. Uh, And he says, while he was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was being what? Provoked. It was being made, it was irritated. It was being made angry. Why? Within him. As he was what? Observing a city full of idols. Idols. Does your community provoke you? Look around you. Tell me that you're not surrounded by idols. Big house, small house, nice car, fast car, short car, ugly car, old car. What is it? Motorcycle, non-motorcycle, pretty wife, ugly wife. Oh, no, no, I say that. Um, his wife, their wife. Look at what we do. Everywhere you go, we are surrounded by idolatry. We have a whole industry in this country. We call it marketing. It is what? Idolatry. You need this. Why? I don't know. You gotta have one. How in the world did our society make it without cell phones? I don't understand that. I lived years and years and never even knew I needed one. Now I, you gotta have this. Why? So I can learn to say little dirty words. Why? You get on the phone, somebody calls you in traffic and lose the signal. What's your first response? My faith is being tested. 
No, don't call me. Do you see what I'm trying to get? He was upset. He was irritated about the idolatry. There was anger because something was offensive about God. They were shunning God. They were turning their back on God. They were despising God. And that angered Paul. Right? Ask yourself this. When you get irritated, why is it? See, here's what Paul's saying in in, in 13. Love doesn't get mad at other people. Love doesn't get angry with people. Love doesn't get upset with people. Right? Never. Never. Listen, what about them lost people? They're only doing what their nature is. Well, you you expect them to walk holy? No. Well, what if they treat you? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The next time you get upset at home, I know nobody ever does that. If in case you ever get upset at home, you're getting mad. Remember this. The reason that you're angry is because you don't love the person you're angry at. You love yourself more than that person. Okay? Because when you say what you shouldn't have said, you wounded them. And the reason you wounded them was because you wanted to wound them. I don't care whether it's your wife, your husband, your kids. You do it. Why? I want to wound you. Why? I'm mad at you. Why? I wanted it my way and I wanted it the way I wanted it. And if you don't do it the way I want it, I'm going to hurt you. Listen, things that, are, that will be said will never be forgotten. Once they leave your mouth, they leave their scars. Okay? We do things with our mouth that injure people, that hurt people. And usually if you do it, you do it because I love me more than I do you, and I'm saying this to hurt you. See, listen, what happens when you think about love bears all injury? Love receives all injury. Love suffers everything and does it without irritation. Without exasperation. Unless it comes to defending God. That is not what God said. People have accused me. They said, well, Terry, you've confronted this pastor and this pastor. Yeah. These men have said, I am going to be a shepherd of these people's souls. And if they say something that is not biblical, I'm going to say, that ain't in the Bible. I don't usually say it that way. I usually say, and where is that in Scripture? Okay? And I don't do it to be confronted. But what I'm saying is, you are a teacher. Your judgment is harsher. You need to pay attention. Okay? And I'm doing it because of love. When a husband or a wife wife lash out at each other, uh, we've seen it in our society. It can be physical. It can be emotion. The question I have to ask is, do they love? Or are they more concerned about their thing, their self, themselves, than anything else? Absolutely. You know, you cross this place here, boom. Got it. Child abuse. I mean, why? How could you do that? Because that child crossed this threshold. 
And I am more concerned about myself. See, anger is the opposite of love. Anger says, I matter so much. If you do something that I don't like, I'm going to make sure you know that you did something I don't like. Now listen, everybody's going, gee whiz, I'm ready to go lunch now. Okay? Let me tell you something. This ain't easy to handle. Okay, but let me share with you something. Unless a Christian learns to handle this, that Christian will never ever really experience love. You never experience it. You'll verbalize it. You can tell your spouse, I love you. You can tell them all the time, I love you. But if you ever are angry at them, how are they going to believe it? It's going to be hard for them to be convinced. How's come that I see people who say, I love you, they've made a covenant before God, they put little ring things on their fingers and they've got their joint checking accounts and all the rest of it, and all they do is bicker at each other. And you kept saying, boy, I'm glad you guys are in love. But I've seen it. You guys know what I'm talking about. You've seen them. You're sitting there going, boy. <sighs> it's very hard to tell your children that you love them if you're irritated at them all the time. And let me tell you something. Children have the spiritual gift of irritation. (laughs) Children do things and you sit there and go, what was you thinking? Then it dawns on you. They weren't thinking. They had no concept of what they were doing. Okay, clean up your room. Clean up your room. My wife walks by my youngest son's room and she says, look at that mess in there. And I said, yeah, he's a boy. (laughs) Why? It's a male thing. I did it when I was a kid. If I didn't have a wife, guess what my room would look like? Josh's. And then I don't get irritated about it, but a woman gets all up. I can't believe it. I can't vacuum. See there, he just saved you that whole room to vacuum. What a blessing. I wonder how come kids don't believe their parents love them when the parents never acknowledge that the children ever do anything right. Can't ever do anything to, to be right. I have seen parents who have children who the child could never make that parent happy in a million years. How's come you're not happy when your children are happy? How's come you're not happy when your spouse is happy? Love is the only cure for irritability. And irritability is nothing but a sign of self-centeredness. The third president of Princeton University had a battle that he talks about consistently with temper. Okay? And a young man fell in love with his daughter and came to the third president of Princeton University and asked this man to marry his daughter. Without a beat, can't have her. Very abrupt, to the point. So the young man says, but I love her. His response, still can't have her. The young man's response was, but but she loves me. His response, can't have her. 
So the young man says, all right, I love her. Why? She's not worthy of you. What? That was the guy's response. She's a Christian, isn't she? Yes, she is. After the dialogue went on, he looked at the young man and he says, and this is a quote, the grace of God can live with some people with whom no one else could ever live. Unquote. You know who the third Princeton of or the third president of Princeton University was? Jonathan Edwards. I know. I lose my temper, but you know, it's just all over in a minute. Right? So is an atomic bomb. Listen, love does not provoke. You know why? A temper destroys. Listen, your temper isn't loving. And yet God has, the love of God has been poured in your heart by the person of the Holy Spirit. That's what Romans teaches us. Okay, and when you find that anger, you find that irritability, that anger, that, that rising up, being provoked, all you know is that you're following the Corinthians. You're following your flesh. That's all it is. That's all it is. We're called to follow God. Deny myself and take up your cross and follow me. Okay? We have no problem taking up the cross. You know, I married my cross. I bury it all the time. And, you know, we have all that. You know what? Cross is an instrument of your execution. Just remember that. Okay, you know what the ones we always struggle with? Denying yourself. Denying yourself. See, self is opposite of all 15 of these facets of love. Until self is gone. Who's the greatest man born of woman? John the Baptist. He had a big ministry. People were coming out of Jerusalem by droves, wanting to be baptized by him. He had disciples all over the place. See, Jesus come down, the Holy Spirit sat down, he baptized him, he says, now follow him. Follow him. Self. We have to see self as the opposite of love. Okay, that's the key to this. Why? Does not seek its own. People ask me, do you have a Slavic background? I said, I have a Slav background. They said, well, uh, they said, well, you have this passion for Russia. What? I don't even speak their language. Well, you, you're, no. You know why I go to Russia? They want the book. I go anywhere that they want the book. I mean, you know, I've got a door open to South Africa where they want the book. We've got the thing going on in India where they want the book. That's all I got. I don't have anything else. Okay, well, you, you seem to be so. No, they said that they would bring us their best pastors, their best ministers, the best men bearing fruit. And we want you to pour yourselves into them so that they will be expositors of the word of God. I don't have a passion for the Russian people. I, my wife would tell you that he has very little passion for people. <laughs> I have a passion for the things of God. 
And the only thing that I can do to help anybody is sanctify them with truth. And your word is truth. Colossians tells me that I am to present everyone complete in Christ. There is a task. Okay, but that's job security. That will keep me busy. I have a long way to go, brothers and sisters. I have a long ways to go. I pray that you guys will go with me. Father, we come before your throne and we thank you that your love has been given to us. And Father, we are overwhelmed by it. Lord, I don't... Uh, I don't understand why you redeemed any of us. And yet, you tell us that you are love. Therefore, you redeemed you have reconciled fallen man into your kingdom. Father, how could any Christian be angry about anything with that sitting in front of them? And yet, Father, we struggle with it. Father, we know you forgive. Father, I ask that we who called by your name, who have gathered here this day, bow before your throne and say, Father, I can't do this. Help me. Help me. Overwhelm me with your presence. Overwhelm me with your love. And Father, may I move from this place. The power of the incarnate Christ. Consuming me. Me decreasing. You increasing. To your praise. To your glory. Help us. In Christ's name.